Are you ready? Welcome to another edition of the Ultimate Fight Show. I'm your host, LC, and with me as always is the Bragg man, Chris Bragg. How you doing out there in South Carolina? I'm doing great, man. The weather is warming up, and so is the fight game. How have you been? Well, after that barn burner on Saturday night, I'm surprised I don't need suntan lotion because that was one hot fight. We will talk about that in a little bit. Bragg, I'm 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 feeling good. The Cavs are looking good. We're about to put game two down tonight uh, here in Cleveland. Uh, what about you? No, man, really, the, uh, I agree with you. I think the Cavaliers, I, I picked them to be in the finals at the beginning, and um, it looks like they're headed toward another finals there uh, for the Cleveland Cavaliers. My Atlanta Braves are hot and cold at times. Uh, hot last night, put nine runs up on the Mets, then turn around and let them come back. It was nine to three in the ninth with one out, and they ended up giving up four runs. Uh, made me a little nervous. They had to use the closer when they wanted to rest them a day, but still got the W. Uh, looking good. Uh, as soon as we get off here tonight, I'll be checking out the Braves and Mets again. But hey, you know what? That, that's what it's all about. That's that's why they call baseball a marathon. It's not a sprint. Got a lot of season to go. Yeah, they got to face uh, Degrom tonight. So. Uh... The Braves got their work cut out for them. Uh, a lot of things game. to talk about. A lot of things to talk about. We finally, no lie, have the May rankings fresh off the press for MMA <laughs> and boxing. We will get to you. We'll get to that. We're also going to cover that fight on Saturday in London that was, you know, it's got everybody talking about the heavyweight division, which is always good with me. And then we're going to take an introspective look at some of the UFC champions and look at some of their weaknesses and strengths as we look ahead for the remainder of the year. But first, let's get to the particulars. You're listening to the Ultimate Fight Show. If you want to call in, it's 1657-383-1412. You can find us on all social media outlets at on uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Brad, you want to give them that info? Absolutely. Of course, it's easy to find us. It's at The Ultimate Fight Show on Facebook and Instagram, The Alt Fight Show on Twitter. But if you search The Ultimate Fight Show, you'll be able to find us there. You can follow me personally at The Bragman or follow my other podcast at Brag Out Loud. And you can follow Larry at LC the Third. Absolutely. I just realized now that I did not change the date on the ranking, so I'm doing that now. Brad, you'll probably have to change that from March 2014 to May 2017. But other than that, they're ready to roll. I'll start it off. Let's go with the heavyweight division and talk about the first guy, and that, of course, is Stipe Miosic from Cleveland, my hometown. 
the reigning defending champion who will look to avenge a controversial loss from earlier in his career, the split decision loss to Junior Dos Santos, who we have ranked fifth by the Ultimate Fight Show. That fight takes place next Saturday. Uh, at number two, we have Fabricio Verdum. He will be in action, or was supposed to be in action, against Ben Rothwell, right? That is correct. Rothwell got injured. They were not able to find a suitable replacement for Verdum, so, or for Rothwell, for Verdum. And he's going to be on the shelf for a little bit until they can reschedule a fight, either that fight or perhaps uh, Fabricio will go ahead and get the winner of Myosic and Sos Santos. A lot of possibilities. We also have Cain Velasquez at number three, the man that beat, uh, that I mean, that lost to Verdum and then beat him. So we're trying to, you know, people want to see them in the mix again as well. Alistair Overeem at four. Rothwell at six, Derek Lewis at seven, climbing up the ranks, Francis Naganu at eight, Josh Barnett never seems to go away at nine, and Vitaly Minikoff, undefeated 18-0, breaking into the rankings for the first time. Uh, on the show, I mean, on the website, guys, when you see the asterisk next to the champion, that indicates the number of defenses they have made of their belt. And Stipe Miocic will be going for history, making a second defense. If he can do it, we'll talk about it more next week. Brad, you want to take us through the light heavyweights? Of course I can. Of course, the light heavyweight champion of the world is Mr. Daniel Cormier, D.C. Has three defenses under his belt, and he's looking for a fourth one against the number two man, uh, Mr. John Jones. He still not 100% sure if Jones is going to be able to, going, to, going to be able to or going to take that fight. D.C. has called him out again recently. Uh, he wants John Jones. He really wants to avenge those losses, or that loss to him, rather. Um, if John Jones is not able to fight, the number three man, Jimmy Manawa, will get the title shot against Daniel Cormier. Number four, uh, recent for signee, Mr. Brian Bader, looking to make some noise over there. Uh, number five, another Bellator fighter, Mr. Phil Davis. Number six, Alexander Gustafson will be returning soon. Number seven, Glover Teixeira. Number eight, Liam McGeary. Uh, number nine, King Mo Lawal coming off a, a win against Rampage Jackson. And number 10, uh, Shogun. Ooh-ah. Yeah, I was surprised to see him back on the rankings, and then I forgot that he had won that fight. So we got to give him some credit, even though I don't suspect that he'll stay there for very long. Middleweights. We got the count. Michael Bisbing, UFC champion, one defense against Dan Henderson. He'll be looking to make his second defense against George St. Pierre, although other people would love to see him fight Yoel Romero. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Luke Rockhold, the man he took the belt from at two. Gegard Mousasi, arguably the hottest fighter right now in the division at number three. Yoel at four. Robert Whitaker at five. The man that he beat, Jacare Sosa at six. Chris, Chris Weidman, the former champion at seven. The man he beat for the title, Anderson Silva at eight. Derek Brunson's at nine. And David Branch is at 10, making his debut. Middleweight division, toughest, deepest division in MMA right now. Bragg, welterweights. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I agree with you 100% about the middleweight division. It is stacked. Uh, not to be outdone, though, the welterweight division. Sitting at the top of that is Mr. Tyrone Woodley. Uh, number two is the man he just defeated 
uh, with his title defense, Stephen Thompson. Uh, number three, the former champ, Robbie Lawler. Number four, Damian Maya. Talk about Shogun Rua, Hua just staying around. Damian Maya is the perennial top five fighter. Uh, really looking forward, or going to really try to get over the hump this time. Uh, he's campaigning for a title shot. Uh, number five has been Astra, still undefeated at 15-0. and 0. Number six, uh, newly Bellator signee, Mr. Roy, Roy, Rory McDonald. I can't speak tonight for some reason. Uh, number seven, Neil Magny. Number eight, Lorenz Larkin. Number nine, Jorge Masvidal, coming off his big win over Cowboy Cerrone. And number 10 is Mr. Douglas Lima, uh, the lightweight, sir. All right, we got Conor McGregor, the champion there at 21-3, and three, although he may be in a bigger fight. You may have heard of it coming up soon, possibly against Mayweather. More on that in a little bit. Khabib at number two, Ferguson at number three. Those two are really interchangeable. Some organizations have Ferguson at two. You, you can mix and match them. Eddie Alvarez, the former champ at four. Edison Barbosa at five. Rafael Dos Anjos at six. Nate Diaz at seven. Michael Chandler at eight. Benson Henderson at nine. And Michael Chisa at ten. Bragg the featherweights. Uh, at the featherweights, a familiar name at the top of this list. Uh, Conor McGregor, he is officially not the UFC champion. However, he never lost the belt. Uh, I imagine we probably could get a uh, unification for that against the interim champion, Mr. Jose Aldo. Uh, possibly, maybe, eventually, who knows. Uh, number three is Max Holloway, arguably the hottest uh, featherweight fighter in the world at this time on quite a roll. Number four is Frankie Edgar. Number five, Cub Swanson, coming off a big win like a couple weeks ago. Uh, the Pitbull, Patricio Freire, recently defended his Bellator belt, six at number six. Chad Mendez at number seven. Ricardo Lamas at number eight. Yair Rodriguez at number nine. And Chan Sung Jung uh, rounds out the top ten with a 14-4 and four record. All right. At Bantamweight, we have, of course, the ultimate fight show. I mean, the ultimate fighter. Uh, coaches, Cody Gab Garbrandt, champion at 11-0, TJ Dillashaw, the former champion at 14-3. and Maybe you've seen the show. They don't like each other. They used to be teammates. Watch the show. It's actually pretty interesting. We haven't talked about it a lot yet on the show because it's hard to learn all those names and see where they're at. But once the first round is concluded, we'll have a little recap of the show and then break down the upcoming fights. Number three, Dominic Cruz. Number four, Rafael Asancio. Five is Lineker. John Dotson at six. Jimmy Rivera at seven. Marlon Maros at eight. Brian Caraway at nine. And Bilibano Fernandez at ten. Brag the flyweights. The flyweight champion is Mr. Mighty Mouse, Demetrius Johnson. Uh, sitting at 11 title defenses. Just an amazing feat. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a little bit. I think he's 10. The next one's 11 to break it. I uh, will stand corrected, sir. You're absolutely correct. <laughs> um, yes, 11 is the record that he will be going for, uh, attempting to beat later on this year. Uh, Joseph Benavidez sits at number two. Henry Cejudo sits at number three. Uh, Kyoji Hiroguchi, number four. Ray Borg at number five. Josier Da Silva at number six. Wilson Reyes, number seven. Ian McCall, number eight. Sergio Pettis 
at number nine, and Brandon Moreno at number ten. We now, go Brad, on to the women's bantamweights. Brad, we talked about it last week when we were talking, when we were, you know, breaking down Johnson and stuff, and we were like, who could challenge him? I'm pretty sure that uh, Kyoja Haraguchi, the number four ranked fighter, is probably going to be Demetrius Johnson's opponent. That's what I'm hearing on the rumor mill. We'll keep you guys posted uh, more on that. But that's an interesting fight because there's really no one left for him to fight. And you know what's amazing is I was looking at Ben Vadias's record, and he he has not lost a fight in like five years except for to Johnson. It's almost like Johnson needs to leave that division so that Ben Vadias can win the championship and become a champion. Well, the talk when that division was even created, because um, there was a jam up at there was a jam up at bantamweight with a lot of guys mm-hmm. like Demetrius Johnson, Joseph Benavidez, even uh, John Dobson at the time, Ian McCall. Those guys were having were really fighting out of their weight class. They created. A- Highweight division essentially for Joseph Benavidez to be the the star and the highlight of that division. Of course, Demetrius Johnson, Mr. Mighty Mouse himself, had other plans and has really <laughs> Boy, dominated that since the inception. <laughs> yeah. All right, women's bantamweight. Amanda Nunes, number one, she'll defend her title against the number two ranked fighter, Valerie Shevchenko, and that is a rematch. They had already fought once with Nunes winning. But that fight took place outside of the UFC. Juliana Pena, the guy, the girl that I thought, think, still think, could be the champion. She's at three. Raquel Pennington shoots up to four after that big win against Misha Tate. Sarah McMahon at five. Ronda Rousey at six. Kat Zingano at seven. Tanya Evinger at eight. Alexis Davis at nine. And Liz Carmouche at ten. Bragg, I know you have a trouble with this, so I'm just going to say it for you. It's Yolanda Jen. Hold on, hold on. Oh, you got it? <laughs> I've been practicing. Right. I've been All practicing. Right. It's Joanna Jacek, right? There you, there you go. Close enough. <laughs> Double number J, one. we're going to call her. She is number yep. one, 13-0, and 0, the women's strawweight champion, uh, one of the most dominant fighters pound for pound in the world at this time. Uh, number two is Claudia Gaudelia. Number three is Carolina Kowalczyk. Number four, Jessica Andrade, who will be getting the title shot, I believe, coming up next week, correct? Yep. Yeah, it should be a good fight. Uh, Rose mm-hmm. Rose Namajunas? Namajunas. Namajunas. I was right the first time. Sits at a... Oh, where did it go? Sits number, number five. five. Tisha Torres. It's number six, Carlos Esparza, number seven, Michelle Watterson, the karate hottie, uh, number eight, number nine is Jessica Aguilar, and number nine, and number ten is Joanna Calderwood. Yeah, Rose Namajunas beat Michelle Watterson yes, a couple weeks ago, and that's yeah, that's why they swapped spots there. All right, let's do the pound for pound. Let's go number ten. We have uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov. Number nine, Jose Aldo. Number eight, TJ Dillashaw. Number seven, Cody Garbrandt. Number six, Tyrone. I mean, Cain Velasquez. Bragg, top five. Yes, sir. Mr. Tyrone Woodley at number five. Stipe Biocic, the heavyweight champion of the world, number four. Daniel Cormier, the light heavyweight champion at number three. Conor McGregor, both the lightweight and featherweight title holder at number two. Or 
And number one, mentioned earlier, the mighty mouse himself, Demetrius Johnson, the number one pound-for-pound fighter in the world. Is there any debate at this point that he is the best pound-for-pound fighter? No, I don't think so. I think as long as, uh, you know, he keeps winning, he's never been an issue. His, I mean, we're, we're going to talk about it in a second with when we break down each chance. Well, we'll just start with Demetrius Johnson first. You know, the guy doesn't really have a flaw. If you're really going to point out something, it's the fact that he's not really marketable. All the pay-per-views that he's been in have been the lowest of any champion. He makes the fights look pretty easy. He's not in what Triple G likes to refer to as the big drama show. You, You really don't ever see Demetrius Johnson in a compelling fight, and that's not really his fault. He should never have to apologize the same way Mayweather should never have to apologize for being too good and no one can make him fight outside his comfort zone. Demetrius Johnson's been tested at 35. He's got two losses at 35. And, you know, we talked about it on the show two weeks ago. I have no problem with Demetrius Johnson making another defense against somebody to get the record. But after that, it's time for him to move up to 135 or I hate to say that, an, you know, a champion as dominant as him could become irrelevant. Bragg, what do you think? You know, it really is unfortunate. I, and I don't – I'm not ready to say – agree with you right there and say that, you know, he could become irrelevant. But I think it's a shame that somebody so talented and so good – listen, it, it, it drives me nuts that you've got – the UFC has gotten, had gotten so hard and so hard behind uh, Ronda Rousey gotten so hard behind Conor McGregor, who are, who are essentially, you know, taught themselves into the game. They taught themselves into title matches. And, of course, they've been dominant uh, since they've been there. But because a guy like Conor McGregor, who gets all the publicity in the world, who is who the UFC is really banking on at the time, I mean, he has talked a lot. He's talked a lot. Yes, he's backed it up, but he's talked. You keep getting, giving guys like John Jones these major title shots. Mess you know, mistake after mistake. Demetrius Johnson has done nothing but giving you positive. Uh, he, he's a he's been a positive player in the game the whole time. He's not only great at what he does, but he he's a well-spoken guy. He's not going to embarrass you in the media. He's not going to go out and get his trouble. He's a family man. He is. This is the type of guy that the UFC should be investing in, and I do not know why. They do not in, do that any more than they are because Demetrius Johnson is never going to sell big pay-per-views, and he's not going to be a big draw on Fox if you don't promote him. He can only do so much on Twitter by himself. I put the sauna square on the UFC and on that leadership for not getting behind the man. They're gonna, they're gonna not, they're gonna not. I don't think they're gonna appreciate him until he's gone or until he retires, or until he moves on, whatever happens. But this is a guy you should have got behind years ago, and they haven't done it. And then they want to look at his pay-per-view numbers and his ratings and say, oh, well, he's not a draw. Well, you know what? Put a damn advertisement on TV to advertise him coming up. No, I agree that they haven't really – I'm trying to even remember how many times he's headlined his own pay-per-view, you know, because Very- usually – Usually they have them on co-main events and stuff like that. But yeah, if they would have, 
if they would have promoted him with the same veracity that they had did Connor or Ronda, yeah, he'd be a household name. All right. Let's go with uh, Cody Garbrandt. I mean, this is a guy who's undefeated, never been beat, heavy-handed, has a variety of ways to strike. But the, the one weakness I've noticed with him, and maybe maybe you'll agree, maybe you won't, but um, he doesn't. Re- we don't really know how good he is on the ground. He he's been dominant if he's got in top position, but we haven't really seen him on his back, and he could be susceptible to submissions or somebody with a serious top game who can get him on the bottom. Brad, what do you think about that? And, you know, is that a fair assessment or have we just not seen enough of Garbrandt to really know what a weakness is yet? Well, keep in mind, he is only 11 and 0. I mean, he's undefeated, but he's had a lot of professional fights. He's 6 and 0 in the UFC. And look at the Golden right now. When he's when he was to take to the ground against Snake Death, how well did he do? Not too good. Uh, you know, it's 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 something that DeBrant will probably need to work on, and I'm sure he is. But at the same time, you've got so many fighters out there now who are one dimensional. And again, it's it's a criticism and the fact that his ground game is not great, but you can't take away what he's accomplished with the tools that he has. Uh, he's, a, he's a great fighter. He's still young. He's still learning and developing. Um, I, so I, I don't see that as being a huge detriment to him at this time. All right. Let's get to uh, Jose Aldo. He's the interim champ, former champ at Featherweight. Um, listen, this guy was undefeated for 10 years before Conor McGregor shocked him with one punch. I'm not going to – the guy really doesn't have a weakness. If he does, it's inactivity. He's now only fought three times, I think, in four years. It's not uh, – when you're aging like that, it's hard to maintain a level of dominance and excellence when you don't actually get in the ring to hone your skills against others who are doing the same thing. Granted, he's had injuries. Then he had people pull a, – a number of things. But, Bragg, at this point, what do you think – is there anything else besides inactivity that Jose has shown that he's weak in? I, I don't really think so. I mean, Jose, he has nothing to prove. He's one of the greatest of all time, uh, surefire Hall of Famer. And he's, I mean, let's face it, I mean, there's no secret he's on the back end of his career. Is he still a, a formidable fighter? Absolutely. He's still got the tools to beat anybody in the world. But, yeah, his inactivity uh, you know, some of his injuries are probably catching up with him. Keep in mind, this is a guy that was at his peak, was fighting three or four times a year. Uh, very similar to what uh, Demetrius Johnson is doing now. Uh, Joe Seattle was really going under the radar a little bit because he was in a smaller weight class perhaps. But, you know, he, he came back from the Conor McGregor loss. He fought a great fight against Eddie Alvarez, uh, was able to beat him. Alvarez just wasn't able to touch him. My biggest question with Jose is, is that chin gone? We've seen it before. Fighter gets knocked out. Their chin is never the same since. I'll be interested to see if somebody can touch Jose Aldo to see how he reacts. But um, as it is, I agree with you. I think his age and activity is probably his biggest uh, detriment at this point. All right, Bragg. I'll let you lead this one off. 
We've seen him a couple times in action recently against Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. What, if any, weakness do you think Tyrone Woodley brings to the table? Yeah, um, Woodley, he tends to brawl a little bit. I mean, he, he's strong, um, but I'm pulling up my notes real quick. He, I know that on the notes that what we talked about before, it says uh, action of any kind. Um, I agree with that to a certain extent. He likes to grind you out. He likes to wrestle you, get you down, uh, grind you up against the cage. So when you kind of draw him into a brawl and try to go toe-to-toe with him, he tends to shrink a little bit, shrivel a little bit, and he's not comfortable. I mean, just just plain and simple, he's not comfortable uh, fighting in a phone booth, as a lot of people like to say. Um, But I think that's – his game is to wrestle you, to grind out victories, and to set you up using that for shots up against the cage. In the open octagon in the middle of the mat, uh, that's where he is. is un- that's where he's uncomfortable, and that's where if you're going to get him, that's where you can get him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think that <clears throat> the game, the, the, the Stephen Wonderboy Thompson kind of showed the game plan that you need to beat Woodley. Like he's going to be explosive in round one. He's going to try to, you know, land a big shot. If not, you know, he's going to be in the fight for all five. Woodley's got a good tank, but you got to stick and move. You got to beat this guy in the middle of the ring with a jab and with movement to tire him out and avoid the big right hand. I think that's how you beat Tyrone. We'll see what happens. I love how Michael Bisbing, our next guy, how (laughs) his weakness is Yoel Romero. (laughs) I thought that was hysterical. I'm going to take it one further. I'm going to say any contender in the top five is Bisbing's weakness. Bragg, you want to elaborate on that? <laughs> yeah, and I love that too. And it, for for those who don't know, we, we're uh, referencing an article off of Bleacher Report uh, talking about the champions and uh, their biggest weaknesses. But uh, yeah, uh, Michael Bisbing's biggest weakness is Joel Romero. Well, he's not going to get Joel Romero next. He's going to get George St. Pierre, one of the greatest fighters of all time. Uh, Michael Bisbing, listen, for as great as he is, or as fantastic of a fighter, as entertaining of as a fighter he's always been, and he's gotten better over the years. He's just not – he's probably the weakest UFC champion at the moment, and that's taking nothing away from his accomplishments because, uh, you know, he, like I said, he has been great. But he beat Dan Henderson barely. Uh, that fight uh, went the distance, and it shouldn't have. You've got uh, – he, he somehow avoided Yoel Romero, and he's going to get a huge money fight, which is what this fight's all about. Don't don't let anybody fool you. George St. Pierre coming back for a money fight. This big one in money fights, and that's what he's getting. Uh, George St. Pierre is going to beat him for the middleweight title. I, I think we've already uh, come to that conclusion. Uh, Yoel mm-hmm. Romero would have beat him for the middleweight title. Um, uh, the Jacare uh, – Gay guard with Saucy, Luke Rockhold. Um, oh, well, I'll say that, but uh, Luke Rockhold is the one that uh, he beat for the title, but I think Luke Rockhold would win, win a rematch. Um, yeah, I think I so. Too. Any, any top five fighter uh, is going to beat Michael Bisping at this time. And it's strange to say that, but it's true. 
All right, Greg, let's go to Daniel Cormier. This situation is a little trickier because of the fact that Daniel Cormier arguably is the best wrestler in MMA, Olympic pedigree. The dude's 19-1. and one. His only loss was to uh, the best fighter in the world at the time, John Jones. And I'm not so sure that John Jones could beat him if they were to fight in July after a layoff. I'm not sure. I think I like DC in that fight. And, I mean, his only real weakness, if you can call it that, is that his striking isn't as developed as his wrestling and everything else. But this is a dude who just showed in his last fight, got his nose broke, and by arguably the hardest puncher in MMA, and was able to just completely destroy him the next round once it got to the mat. Now, whether or not he can do that against John Jones, I, I just think that John Jones and Daniel Cormier are 1A and 1B. We need to find out which one's number one. And so, to me, that's really each other's weaknesses is is each other. Yeah, that's either one of their weaknesses is the other one. Brad, what do you think? Well, I will, I will disagree with you on John Jones. I think uh, willpower and uh, distractions are John Jones' weakness. But nonetheless, yeah, DC, I mean, he, he is a wrestler first and foremost. I mean, he, he doesn't make any bones about it. The secret's out on him. But keep in mind, this is a guy who also, uh, as a heavyweight, uh, I believe he knocked out, uh, was it Bigfoot he knocked out? Yeah. In strike force. I mean, he's got heavy hands. I mean, he's got some power in his hands. But his bread and butter is wrestling. It always has and it always will be. Uh, so calling his striking a weakness is picking nits, as, as they say. But, uh, yeah, that would be – that's how John Jones beat him, kept him at distance, and was able to beat him up. Uh, but Daniel Cormier is a much better striker now than he was then. He's improving as a striker. Can't help but to when you train with guys like uh, Ken Velasquez every day. Um, but, yeah, so Daniel Cormier – I, I guess striking would be his uh, weakness, although it's, like I said, it's arguable. Yeah, there's definitely uh, room to argue that. All right, the big guy, Stipe, you know, we've seen him, we've seen him lose a lot, controversially, and then we saw him knock, you know, stopped by Steven Struve, who was just a huge dude that, you know, you can't really train for guys that big, and I think Stipe was young at the time, and you know, now he's the champion of the world. And if he has a weakness, I, I, I don't know. The guy's got a good gas tank. He's a great boxer, great wrestler. I would say maybe his submission game or his his jiu-jitsu. Bragg, what do you think? Yeah, he, he's not one. When he gets you down, he's going to look to uh, ground and pound you. Uh, he, he is a great all-around player. Jiu-jitsu would probably be his weakest point. Uh, and like you said, submissions. He doesn't really uh, transfer or uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, transition. His, his transition. There you go. I need yeah, a dictionary. Um, he doesn't really transition well um, on the ground. Like I said, his primary focus is to ground and pound you when he gets there. Uh, but most likely he's going to get you standing up and he's going to beat you up with his boxing but you, but the thing is, you have to account for his takedowns. You've got to account for them because he is a good wrestler. He's got great takedowns, uh, pretty good takedown defense as well. So 
to get on get on top of him is a big accomplishment if you can do it. So, yeah, I'd say submissions would be his weak, uh, biggest weakness. Uh, again, if you could call it that, he hasn't needed to really use it, especially recently on this run he's on. But um, and a guy gets like Fabricio Verdum, who may be the best submission artist in all of MMA, especially with heavyweights. Uh, he was able to knock him out. He was able to avoid getting taken down and avoid getting into that spot and was able to knock Fabricio Verdum out. So I think that's an accomplishment in and of itself. It says something about how strong and talented Stipe Miostic is. Absolutely. All right, let's get to the, the women. We got two women champions right now. Well, three if you want to count Razmadine, but we're not going to uh... – her and, her and Cyborg have to have a fight, and then we'll see what happens with them. Um, Amanda Nunes, champion, defended her belt now, destroyed Ronda, destroyed Misha, the two, you know, gatekeepers, or uh, I should say pioneers of the women's division. So now she gets a rematch coming up. But as far as a weakness from her, we know she, I would probably say her stamina. She's never, she. She's had 18 fights, and she's only been the distance, I think, twice. So we don't really know what kind of gas tank she has against the top level if, if pushed. Brad, what, what, what do you think? Or do, you, do you think, Amanda, that that's really her weakness, or is there something else that you think is more glaring than that? No, because that's, that's a game plan that a lot of women have tried to institute against her. Uh, you, you go back to um, – talking about her number of fights, 18 fights, 12 of those fights have not even made it out of the first round. But uh, so I think it just says something to her. She's explosive. She's great all around. Great, great takedown defense, great standing up. Um, That's the uh, game plan against her most times is to survive the early rounds and to wear her down. Uh, The problem is she's so good and so strong and so quick and so effective that getting out of that first round and or second round is next to impossible. She's on a huge roll right now. And, um, you know, it's going to be tough for anybody to take her right now. I'm looking forward to uh, seeing uh, Shevchenko, what she can do against her. Yeah, now, now, Joanna, she's made four defenses. She beat everybody in the division except for the woman that she's going to fight, Jessica Andrade, who – we like her chances in this fight because of the wrestling. You know, Jen Chasecheck has her takedown defense is, I believe, 89%. So she doesn't really go to the ground often. We saw what happens when she does get taken to the ground. She had some problems with Kowalski. She got hit with an uppercut and then, you know, recovered nicely and was able to win the fight and show her heart. And no one can strike with this girl. But... I do think that she has some issues on the ground that hopefully she's been working on and addressing. Bragg, is that a fair estimate? Oh, absolutely. I, I, I think uh, uh, Joanna is really the polar opposite, the, the yin to, you know, Ronda Rousey's yang. Rousey's whole game was grappling, judo, jujitsu, get you on the ground and submit you. Uh, she had to stand up. She would, but she really wanted to take you down as quick as possible. Joanna is the exact opposite. She doesn't want to go to the ground. She doesn't want to grapple with you. She doesn't want to try for a submission. Uh, she wants to stand up. She wants to beat you on the feet. And, again, much like some of the other guys, much like uh, 
Cody Garbrandt. I mean, keep in mind, Joanna is only 13, has only had 13 fights. She is improving still. However, she's so good at that one dimension on her feet that it's really going to be tough getting her to the ground. But if you can get her to the ground, and like we talked about, Andrade is the type of fighter who will give Joanna's problems. Uh, it could be a very interesting night and a very interesting result next weekend when these two finally lock up. Yeah. All right, Bragg. This is a little off topic, but we mentioned it for before. You got you got Atlanta taking on the Mets tonight. You guys are throwing uh, Bartolo Colon on the mound against his old team. How do you think he's going to fare tonight? Well, whatever he does pitching uh, is, is beside the point. We just need to get his bat going. And for people, <laughs> people who don't get that joke, Bartolo Colon has one of the ugliest swings in baseball. Just the, he, 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 Bartolo Colon, he's an older guy. I think he's like 41. He hits home runs, though. Hey, when he connects. I mean, yeah. when you got a body like that, you swing with your entire body. Uh, basically, it, it's like the big fat kid in Little League who just closes his eyes and swings the bat as hard as he can. If he connects, it's going to go somewhere. But nine times out of ten, he's not going to connect. Uh, but no, uh, Bartolo Colon, uh, the Mets have struggled as of late. Uh, getting runners on and in scoring position. Cologne, the numbers haven't aren't, don't look great, but he has pitched fairly well. He just needs to avoid getting the ball over the center of the plate, throwing too many strikes, really, um, which is easier said than done, of course. But, you know, keep the ball on the outside, the inside part of the plate, on the corners. Um, don't He's not going to overpower these guys, so he's going to have to pitch to contact, keep the ball down. Uh, trying to get some ground balls, but uh, should be a good matchup, of course. As you said, DeGrom is going to be going for the Mets tonight. Um, I don't look for it to be another 9-7 to seven ball game tonight like it was last night. Um, I look for it to be, you know, in the 2-3 to three run range but for each team. Yeah. All right, let's, uh, let's transition here to a little sweet science at the Ultimate Fight Show. boxing segment here at the ultimate fight show and we have fresh rankings for you to crunch and in you know crunch those numbers see if we're right and just take it all in this is the first ones in a while and they are updated so i'm going to start with the notables we, we we try to go 20 deep just to give you the next 10 so we'll go with uh tyson fury the lineal heavyweight champion of the world should be somewhere in the top 10, but because of cocaine and inactivity, he's not. So we'll have him at 20 for now. Shinsuke Yamanaka, man that beat, um, or, the, or I should say the guy that everybody wanted Chocolatito to fight next. Chocolatito had a little bit of an upset loss, and we'll probably have to wait to see them in action. Is Randy Lara, we know his work. Leo Santa Cruz, Danny Garcia. Anthony Joshua, the heavyweight champion, who we'll talk about in a minute. DeAndre Wilder, another champion from America. 
the lineal light heavyweight champion, Adonis Stevenson, Mikey Garcia, and for the first time in probably 10 years, Manny Pacquiao is not in the Ultimate Fight Show's top 10 pound for pound. Bragg, you want to take us through 10 through 6? I will indeed. Guillermo Rigano, uh, 17-0 with 11 knockouts. He sits at number 10. Keith Thurman, uh, number 9 at 28-0. Canelo Alvarez, got a big fight coming up. Number Sergey Kovalov, get his rematch at Andre Ward next month. Uh, sits at number 7. And Chocolatito, Robon Gonzalez, drops after his loss. Uh, to number six, he is now forty-six and one. Number five, Bud Terrence Crawford, twenty-nine and 0, 20 knockouts. Number four, Triple G, thirty-seven and 0, 33 knockouts. Number three, Ali Lomachenko, eight and one, five knockouts. He's a lot of people's number one. It's just nine fights is just not enough work for me to put him higher than Andre Ward, who we have at number two, 31-0, 15 knockouts. And I know Floyd Mayweather shouldn't be on the list, but because of the whole rumbling with the McGregor fight and the fact that we all know he is going to fight again, we will put Floyd back at number one, 49-0 with 26 knockouts. I think an interesting note here, Bragg, is that if you look at the top ten, every single one of these fighters, six of them, are undefeated. And the other four have one loss. And all but one, you can debate those losses. You can debate that Vasily Lomachenko didn't really lose to Orlando Salido because of the low blows and he should have been disqualified. You can make a case that Roman Gonzalez didn't lose that fight and that they got it wrong. And you can make a case that Sergey Kovalov won that fight against Andre Ward. The only one with a legit L on there is Canelo Alvarez because Floyd beat him 12 rounds to zero. But, you know, it's, it, it's interesting that all these guys are almost undefeated. I mean, it, it's very rare that, you know, you don't see that a lot. Bragg, do you think that it's, that it's a testament to how deep boxing really is in the other divisions? Or is it a testament to the fact that these guys don't fight the best fighters frequently the way that they're forced to in UFC? You know, that's an interesting question. Uh, It it could be the case of, you know, not having the biggest competition in every fight, but I think it's a testament to just how deep boxing is right now. We've talked about it before. There is a lot, a lot of big talent in boxing right now. And, you know, boxing still has a sort of a sour taste in a lot of fans' mouth because of the the way the promotions have run, because of Floyd Mayweather running, you know, doing his thing, and the fact that it took so long for Mayweather Pacquiao that turned a lot of people off. And then the fight itself was underwhelming for most casual fans, at least. Uh, it, it's a very interesting conversation to have. I'm sure it's one that we could have at another time, more in depth. But I, I ultimately, though, I tell people. Boxing is deep right now. Boxing is really great at the moment. Uh, and just we talk about the heavyweight title fight. We're going to talk about that in just a few minutes. That happened last week. We've always said the heavyweight title fight is the biggest event in the world. It always used to be. 
this one, I don't think this quite matched up to some of those fights, but it had everybody talking, casual fans all the way up to the boxing historians about how great a fight that was. So, uh, and not to mention, you got guys like Floyd Mayweather and Conor McGregor, the crossover appeal, uh, bringing a little more eyes to boxing. Andre Ward, the, one of the greatest fighters in the world this generation, um, getting some eyes on the TV. You've got uh, Anthony Joshua, who was now the United Kingdom, uh, you know, darling. And, of course, Deontay Wilder, who is from the United States. He's the heavyweight hope for the United States right now. There is a lot to love and to be excited about in the world of boxing. And the fact that our top ten, like you said, one legit L in the entire top ten, that's pretty damn good. Yeah, I mean, and of course, my colleagues alluding to the heavyweight dust-up that happened in London in front of 100,000 people Saturday afternoon. Most of you caught the fight on the replay at 11. I watched it at 4.30 in the afternoon. Uh, If you listened to our show last week, I picked Anthony Joshua to win this fight by knockout, and the Bragman picked... You picked Klitschko, right, by decision, late? I, I had, yeah, I had Klitschko to win by a decision. And you know what, though? It, 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 neither one of those pick, picks were that far off. I mean, this fight, the first four rounds, Anthony Joshua, I thought, did what the younger, bigger, stronger guy should do, and that's dictate the pace, push him around. In the fifth, he listened to his corner, jumped all over Klitschko, split him open, dropped him. We thought he was in trouble, but we didn't really realize that Anthony Joshua, you know, carrying all that big muscle, he got tired and he punched himself out. In the sixth round, Klitschko weathered the storm and caught Anthony Joshua with a flush, one-two. But that right hand was the best punch of the fight at the time. Joshua went down for, the first, for, for I think, the second time in his career, but the first time where he was very hurt. I still don't know how he got out of that round number one because the knockdown came a minute into the third into the sixth round so he went two minutes Klitschko was trying to put him away couldn't but you know that is that set the tone for the next three rounds Klitschko won round six seven eight nine it, it wasn't until the end of round nine where I thought Anthony Joshua got his bearings back that's how hard Klitschko hit and in round 10 I thought he was able to do good work. And then in round 11, of course, he caught Vladimir much the same that he did in the, with a good right hand early in the round. And then Preston was able to hit him with a beautiful uppercut that set up the first knockdown. Klitschko gets up, he gets dropped again, gets up again. And then this can be debated, Brad, you saw the highlights. Um, but Klitschko was up against the ropes. Joshua was punching not a lot was landing, but you know these moments where it looks like more punches are landing than they really are, and the referee stopped the fight. And you could make a case that it was the right call, but you could also, after talking to Klitschko after the fight, Max Kellerman, you know, alluded to that, and Klitschko said that he, he was ready to keep fighting and that he thought it was a, a bad stoppage. But it is what it is. At the time of the knockdown, at, of the, at the time of the stoppage the scorecards were split decision 95 93 
for Anthony Joshua, but they were, but the scores were the same across the board. So it was, I mean, granted, after three knockdowns, it would have been a 10-7 round, and that would have been the end of the fight unless Klitschko knocked him out. He would have lost the decision. But nonetheless, the, the time comes at one minute left in the 11th round, and Anthony Joshua moves to 19-0, 19 knockouts, and is now the WBA, WBO heavyweight champion of the world. I'm sorry, IBF, WBA champion of the world. Um, Craig, it was just a hell of a fight. What, what did you think? Yeah, it really just it lived up to the hype. It really went beyond it. Uh, talk about back and forth wars. I mean, these guys laid it all on the line for 11 rounds. Um, I honestly, I I felt like the stoppage was justified. I, I thought it was a uh, a good stoppage. Could could Klitschko have continued fighting? Yes, he probably could have. Uh, but would he have been effective, and would he have been able to given himself a chance to have stopped? Because, like you said, on the on the scorecards, he would have been down huge at that point. It would have taken a miracle stoppage for him to win that fight. I, I think the referee did a great job uh, throughout the entire fight. Um, yeah, let's just say, let's just say that I thought it was a very well ref fight. Um, I don't think Klitschko had enough left in him. Like you said, could he have continued? Probably could he have survived the next round and a half? Maybe, but uh, I think the referee did his job. He did his job well. Um, The fight was stopped, and Anthony Joshua is now a huge star and is the heavyweight champion of the world. Yeah, and I mean, just on a couple notes, I – just want to say for the record, I also did not think the stoppage was premature. I thought Klitschko was going to get really hurt with the next couple punches. Um, but I will say this, at 40, almost 41 years old, I do believe that Vladimir Klitschko could have beat any heavyweight that is currently fighting, except for Anthony Joshua, Deontay Wilder, and Tyson Fury. I think he beats every other heavyweight with the performance he put out that night. It just wasn't enough, and Father Time's undefeated. There is a rematch clause in their contract. So regardless of what the outcome was before fight, they, much like Kovalov, Ward fight, had a rematch clause in there. They asked Vladimir, who had fight with Max Kellerman, was clearly annoyed and disappointed. Not in a way like, oh, boo-hoo, me. It's more like, I want to get back in there with this because I can beat him. But he has anything left to prove. I personally don't want to see a fight again. I think that that fight was probably the best heavyweight championship fight since Rick Bowe and Evander Holyfield fought their trilogy. I think it was better than his brother and Lennox Lewis, which is probably the last great heavy fight before this one for a title. I'm not going to say that it's, you know, it wasn't as action-packed as uh, Magomed against, uh, who was the Cuban guy, remember? And then Magomed was in the coma for three months. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, uh, uh, Ruiz or Ortiz. It wasn't as good as that fight, but, I mean, you never want to see the outcome that came from that fight. This was two great fighters. Well, this was a great champion fighting 
the new champion, and it was a passing of the torch, in my opinion. And uh, I'm just glad that I was on the right side of it, and I feel like this is a fight where we could very easily brag come January 1st, be talking about that as the best fight of 2017. Oh, no doubt. It's definitely an early contender for the fight of the year, and I agree with you. I, as great as Vladimir Klitschko was, uh, Dr. Steelhammer, as he likes to call himself, hmm. uh, I, I, he's got nothing left to prove. I, I think it's a – he went out of the sword. Uh, I think it was one yeah. of those fights where if it came back and it ended up having a split decision at the end, you know, I, I could see a rematch being justified, but not at this point. He got beat uh, very classy, of course, at the end of the fight, as the Klitschko's always always are. Uh, just a fantastic fight, fantastic performance, fantastic career, um, and I'm looking forward to seeing Anthony Joshua go on uh, to fight. I, I guess uh, Deontay Wilder's still the favorite for him to fight. Yeah, that, that's what was, I was going to talk about next was the fact that, okay, let's let, – you and I, at the end of last week's show, we talked about what I thought was the perfect scenario for me, and that was Anthony Joshua wins the fight, Deontay Wilder wins his fight, and then we have a showdown between two undefeated, humongous super heavyweights in their prime. But – now you got Joshua Parker, who's also undefeated, who's going to be fighting this weekend. And then you got Tyson Fury, who says he's going to come back in the fall, and he's the real champion. Anthony Joshua said that he'd be more than happy to fight Tyson Fury. And what I'm proposing now, Bragg, and we're going to put it up on Twitter and poll people, but I would love to see Anthony Joshua and Tyson Fury fight to figure out who the best fighter is in Europe. And then Deontay Wilder joshua parker both fight find out who the best heavyweight in america is and then in a year we get the the two winners fighting for everything for the lineal title for for much the same way that they put together that tournament back when mike tyson and michael spinks ended up culminating in the end of the middleweight the hbo heavyweight tournament that don king set up we need something i don't necessarily want to see a super six because when you got heavyweights like that, these fights could end in one round or they could be battles that these dudes feel for the rest of their lives. So I don't necessarily think that you need to have all these guys fight each other. I think you just need to find out who the best are. And my money, I, I still, you know my wife, she doesn't like to watch a lot of sports, but she likes boxing and she likes UFC. She, I showed her the, she knows Klitschko's work. I showed her the fight with Joshua, and she and she's first goes, Tay Wilder beats him, and I and I and I still feel that way too. I still feel that as good as Joshua was, I think that if he was fighting Anthony, uh, Deontay Wilder, he wouldn't have got out of that sixth round. It, it, it's it's a very good argument to make, and I, I tend to agree with you. Well, we've been. We've been talking Deontay Wilder up for a couple of years now on the Ultimate Fight Show here, and Anthony Joshua, he he, he is one of those guys that he, he like you said with Vladimir Klitschko, anybody outside of the top five in the heavyweight division, he probably beats. Anthony mm-hmm. Joshua is the same thing. Anybody maybe out of the top uh, three, 
Anthony Joshua is probably the odds-on favorite, the betting favorite going in. Uh, but I will say this. I'd say out of those three or four, because you, you mentioned Tyson Fury coming back and uh, Parker, those four, I, I think if you, any combination of those four would be a crapshoot. I, I don't think there's an overwhelming favorite. Now you would they're they're all that. undefeated. They're all, they're all undefeated. undefeated. They, they're all well-rounded fighters. They can all do, do, do it a lot. Um, you know, you and I both like Dante Wilder a lot, but would I be willing to go out and bet the farm on him against any of those guys? I, I'm not sure I would. Uh, but that I love the idea of your four-man tournament, uh, U.S. versus U.K. I, I really do like that idea. Now, of course, I'd love to see Deontay Wilder and Anthony Joshua fight. So I'll have to show a little patience here and put that off for a year because if you were to ask me right now, putting uh, Wilder and Parker against each other and Joshua and Fury against each other. I would say that I would pick uh, Joshua and Wilder to end up having that super fight uh, next year, if that's how it ends up going. Um, but that's that's a great idea. I love that tournament idea. Yeah, it might even be something, you know, I might have to send to the president of Showtime maybe in a tweet. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, no, I mean, it's it's definitely, especially now that you got the main, I mean, I even heard Stephen A. Smith talk about Anthony Joshua and Deontay Wilder the other day. And, you know, the fact that that fight got everybody talking about boxing again, the heavyweights, because people like to see the biggest dudes. I mean, think about this. Joshua Klitschko in the ring that night weighed 500 pounds and combined were 13 feet three inches tall and and if Deontay Wilder and him fought it would be bigger they're bigger I mean this is you know these are this is the dawn of a super heavyweight you know and I think in five ten years and I think in five years Brad we might be talking about a whole other subdivision in the heavyweight division and be having names like Anthony Joshua and Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury and comparing them to Ali and Lewis, you know, because of the size difference. So, you know, think about this. Muhammad Ali was six foot three, 218 pounds. And is the best heavyweight that ever lived. These guys walk around at 275 and are six, seven. It's definitely definitely a new breed of fighter, and but you're seeing that in all sports. I mean, you're seeing that mm-hmm. you know, you know, in the in the UFC, you know, the heavyweight, bigger, stronger, faster. Yeah, absolutely. You have they have fighters have to cut down to reach the 265 limit in the MMA. Um, you know, fighters have to cut down to reach boxing limits um, all the time. Uh, you know, it's baseball's the same thing. You got football. Um, it's just it is a very, very um, social, sociological um, finding that athletes are, like you said, bigger, faster, stronger. Great documentary, great film, by the way, if anybody ever wants to see it. Uh, look it up. I think it's on Netflix. But yep. it, it's, definitely, it's definitely something to consider. And, you know, of course, it always brings up these arguments. You look at a guy like Muhammad Ali, who is – generally considered the greatest heavyweight of all time. 
You know, who would win in their prime? Ali versus Tyson. You know, keep in mind, Tyson wasn't a huge dude. He was built, no. he was stacked, but he was rather short. Was he 5'10", 5'11"? 5'10 and a half, yeah. 5'10", yeah, so... Rocky um, Marciano was 5'9". Right, uh, you know, the, the, the best fighters, you know, we're talking solely about fighters here, some of the best fighters haven't always necessarily been the biggest. But you're seeing this breed of heavyweight here. You're going to see a lot more guys uh, that, you know, for example, like a Daniel Cormier, for example, like a John Jones in mixed martial arts, who they're really too big for light heavyweights, but they're too small to compete with the best heavyweights. So you're going to see a lot more cruiserweights, a lot more light heavyweights, I believe, in the next few years. I believe, I believe those divisions are going to stack up as well as the heavyweight division is going to. Like we said earlier, and like I've said for a long time, boxing is about to hit a peak or about to hit another uh, boom period. I really feel like it is. I believe in the next five years, boxing is going to be one of the most talked about sports like it was back in the heyday with Tyson back in the heyday with Sugar Ray Leonard. Um, I, I believe you're about to see another boom period in boxing, and I, for one, am greatly excited. All right. Let's talk about the pay-per-view this weekend that does not include Floyd Mayweather for the second year. This is the second time <laughs> in the last 15 years that Floyd Mayweather hasn't fought on Cinco de Mayo weekend. But the man that picked up the torch, Saul Canelo Alvarez, will fight against Mexican royalty, Julio Cesar Chavez Jr., in a 12-round catchweight fight. Now, for those of you who don't know, Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. is somebody who has always been big, strong. He's ate his way out of several divisions. He started his career at 154 pounds won a title there, moved up to 160, captured a WBO title from Andy Lee. Then he fought at 68, didn't do well. Then he fought at 75, didn't do well. Now this fight is at 164.5. So 165 and under is okay, I guess. The For every pound that, Canel, that Chavez is over, he has to pay a million dollars a pound. That's the first stipulation. Now, Bragg, I don't know if you watched the the face-off or the 24-7 leading up to this fight, but another huge development. Julio Cesar Chavez has been telling people for a while that he's going to knock Canelo out. Canelo said the same thing. They got it on air. They, the, they are fighting. The winner gets the other one's purse. Wow. So, essentially... That's- yeah, you're fighting for free if you lose. Winner take all. I love it. It's winner. They shook on it on the air with Max Kellerman. The winner gets the other one's purse. I will say this. Chavez looks like he's in the best shape that I've seen him. Better shape than when he fought Sergio Martinez for the middleweight title and almost knocked him out in the 12th round. Um. But let's get to the undercard first before we break down the main fight. This is a, it's a good it's a good pay per view card. It's a nice little pay per view. You got Lucas Matisse against Emmanuel Taylor, and that's at 147 pounds. Matisse making his debut. 
Greg, how do you see this one going down between former Olympic prospect Emmanuel Taylor and Lucas Matisse, former world champion at 140 pounds? You know, this could be a fight that could steal the show. And one of these fights that we're going to be talking about later on, we talked about uh, the heavyweight fight being a potential fight of the year candidate. This is a, a fight that really could go either way. Um, Matisse probably has the power uh, advantage over Taylor. Um, but let's keep in mind, um, he hasn't fought in it's probably, what, a year and a half now, like 18 months. Yeah. Um, so uh, so it's late October. I'm sorry. Yeah, I think it was in October of 2015, if my notes are correct. Um, mm-hmm. So it's gonna be so it's gonna be interesting to see if Taylor could jump out on him early, and I think that's gonna be his biggest test. If Taylor can jump out on him early, set the tempo. I think he has a good chance to stop Matisse and get that mm-hmm. fight out of there in the middle rounds. But Matisse is just so so good. He's so. Uh, He's so talented. I don't think it's going to happen. I think he's going to be able to make it through. He's going to weather the storm early. And I think he's going to end up ultimately getting a unanimous decision victory. Yeah, I like I like the way that you broke that down because I would have gone, you know, I would have said that with Taylor, I think Taylor's biggest problem is that he's not that big of a puncher. He's a volume kind of guy. Like he wants to hit you with combination, speed, and overwhelm you, but he, I don't think he has that one punch power. And Matisse, you know, the big, the big variable for me in picking this fight is does Matisse bring that devastating left hook power up seven pounds? It, it could go both ways. I mean, if Matisse was struggling to make the weight at 40, then him getting that extra seven pounds, you've seen what it's done for people like Mikey Garcia and, um, you know, other fighters moving up. Sometimes they carry their, their power. Or is Matisse going to come up there and then, you know, be like, oh, you know, I'm, hit, I'm in here with real welterweights and they got a little more pop than these guys at 140 did. I think that the, uh, the latter is probably – not likely to happen. I like Lucas Matisse. I think he hurts Taylor early to get his respect, kind of makes this into a rough rumble-tumble kind of fight. A lot of those Olympic guys don't like those kind of fights because, perfect example, I think we can all say that Vasily Lomachenko is the greatest amateur that's ever lived with a record of 400 wins and one loss, correct? Uh, It's not too shabby. Yeah, I I would say that. Yeah, I'd say he's the best, you know, two-time gold medal. And in his third fight, when he was fighting Salido for a title, Salido's one of the roughest, dirtiest veteran, and he made it a rumble-tumble kind of fight. I think Matisse is going to do something very similar to Emmanuel Taylor. I I actually like Matisse to win by knockout in the 10th round. I think he's going to hurt him early and then just grind on him. And, you know, there's that old saying, you don't hook with a hooker. And Lamont Peterson found that out when he fought Matisse. So, and Matisse found that out when he fought Garcia. You know, sometimes you, you run into someone who's got a better hooker than you. I don't, I, I think, I think Matisse wins this fight in the 10th round by stoppage, but I could also see it going the distance and him getting a UD. So, all right, let's, uh, the next fight, David Lemieux, we, we saw him in a compelling fight with Triple G that he was stopped, and then he came back 
and surprised us all against Curtis Stevenson, another hard puncher, and he was able to get him out of there right when it looked like Stevenson was, you know, ready for that. Lemieux came in overweight. He used that extra power to fight flat-footed. You remember that was an exciting fight. And that's it got him on this card against Marcos Reyes in a middleweight fight. Greg, how do you see this one going down between Lemieux and Reyes? Yeah, Lemieux is actually on a pretty good hot streak right now, and I think he can continue it. Uh, I just don't see Reyes giving him much trouble. I mean, he I, he could surprise him, but I think Lemieux gets this fight. I think he gets a knockout victory, and I think he does about the sixth round. That's exactly what I said, TKO in the sixth round. I think uh, – <laughs> I just think it's one of those fights that, yeah, like you said, it's not enough – not enough uh, – not enough weapons for Reyes to, to really give Lemieux problems when he's been in the ring with the kind of guys he's been in the ring with. Um, all right, let's go over to New Zealand. This isn't on the card, but it's a fight that we're going to cover because we were just talking about them. Jo- jo- uh, Joseph Parker against uh, Rasvin K- Kahuna, and that's for w- for Parker's WBO heavyweight title. Um, he's going to have to have some Kahunas because I don't think he's going to get um, – I don't think he's going to get to hear the judges' scorecards. I like Parker in two rounds by knockout. Brag, who you got? Yeah, he gets the, he gets it done early. Um, I just just to play it different. I'll say three rounds. <laughs> yeah, that's what I had three or two or three. And then we got Yoriokis Gamboa also fighting uh, against a guy named Robinson Castellanos, and that's at lightweight. It's a ten round fight. It's actually going to be on ESPN two Friday night from Vegas, that's the main event. Um, I, I like Gamboa by knockout in the fourth. Who do you got? Uh, yeah, I, was, I think it goes a little longer than that, but I say he stops even about the seventh or eighth. Okay. So those are four down, and now we can get to the uh, the main event of the evening, as they say. So we'll have buffer take. Let's get ready to rumble! This is for Mexican pride. This is for everything, folks. It is the two Mexicans fighting on the Mexican holiday for everything Mexican and maybe some Tecante beer as well. We have Saul Canelo Alvarez, 48-1 and one with one draw and 38 knockouts against Julio Cesar Chavez Jr., 50-2, and two, one draw, 34 knockouts. We already set the table. Every, they don't like each other. Um, Canelo respects his father as the greatest Mexican, but wants to see himself as that person one day and feels like Chavez isn't a real fighter because, you know, he's gotten by on his dad's name. Chavez takes offense to that, got himself in really good shape. And he also made the comment that he's not a, I'm not a welterweight. I'm not old. I'm not young. I'm a real fighter. That's going to come and take your punches. And again, Chavez is the bigger man. Like, let's make no mistake about this, but let's break down real quick, Brag. Let's, uh, let's look at Chavez's record. Now, the thing that right off the bat job to me is some of the, the fighters that he, some of the guys fought. You know, he was undefeated. He, he won the first 30 fights in a row or something. But um, some of these names, you know, like Sebastian Zebig, Billy Lyle, John Duddy, they're, they're nobody fights. Let's get to the guys that we know. 
He beat Peter Manfredo Jr. by knockout. He beat Marco Antonio Ruby by knockout. He knocked out Andy Lee after getting dropped. He almost knocked out Martinez. Then he beats Brian Vera twice controversially. That was when he put on all that weight. Gets his ass kicked handsomely by Andraz Fonfara, who's going to be fighting Adonis Stevenson for the lineal title. And then he comes back with two wins, wins against Marcos Reyes, who we just mentioned is fighting Lemieux. Reyes was able to take him the distance. And then he beat Dominic Brish, who he beat distance. The reason I bring all this up is because if you look at his record, Chavez hasn't knocked anybody out since 2012 when he knocked out Andy Lee, and that fight was at 160 pounds. That's five years without a knockout. Now let's go to the other end of the equation. You look at Saul. Now look at his record. We got Carlos Baldemir that he in 2010, former champion if you remember. Love Nadu, Matt, Ron Rhodes, Gomez. N- not of, like good names, decent fighters. Then you get into the, the better name. Kermit Sitron, Shane Mosley, Josecito Lopez. Now he did have a, a tough, tough fight with Austin Trout. That knockdown in the seventh saved him, I think, in that fight. Then, of course, he gets beat by Mayweather, comes back, knocks out Angula. Then we get to the one fight where I think was controversial. He, he won the split decision against his Randy Lara, if you remember. I thought Lara won the fight. So did you. But having watched it, I could see where Lara wasn't aggressive enough in the later rounds to get the win. So I'm okay with him winning that fight. Then he knocks out Kirkland. Then he beats Miguel Cotto. And then he knocks out Amir Khan and Liam Smith. Now, you know, we come to the crux. Why are they fighting? Well, Greg, the reason they're fighting is because these are the two favorite sons of Mexico, number one. They're going to put asses in the seats and dollars in the coffers of all the people involved. And at the end of the day, because the fight is taking place five pounds, actually, Canelo, even though he's the lineal middleweight champion, he's never fought above 156 pounds. So this fight's at 165. Do I think Canelo will come in at 165? Absolutely not. Do I think Chavez will? You bet. I bet you fight night Chavez is 180 pounds. Okay? Um, so that's why this is compelling is because you've got a really big guy who takes a good punch and is the son of a legend against a guy who came for nothing, is probably the better fighter, but he's maybe a division, division and a half underweight. And here's the other interesting thing, Bray, before I ask you to come in here and give us your pick and how you break this down. Think about this. Canelo is five foot nine with a seventy inch reach. Chavez is six foot with seventy five inch reach. So whether or not he gets inside, that's pretty much the fight here. You've listened to me, Bragg. How do you see this one going down Saturday night? Yeah, it's a really interesting fight. I don't think anybody debates that uh, he's in the conversation, at least, to be pound-for-pound fighter in the world, best pound-for-pound fighter in the world. Uh, He he is going to be at a disadvantage, and I think that's where Chavez is going to have the opportunity. But like you said, he just has not shown the power since, what, you said 2010? He hasn't knocked anybody out, is that correct? 2012. 2012. Okay. Yeah. 
Uh, I, and I think really the key here, it's Canelo is the better boxer. He's the better fighter. He's got more skill than Chavez. And his one loss has come to Floyd Mayweather. He got a boxing lesson talked to him that night, like you like to say. And he learned from that. He's gotten better since then. Alvarez is the favorite in this fight. Is he going to be able to put away your Chavez? Six to one favorite, Bragg. And, and those are huge odds. But I, I can't argue with them because I, I think Melo's going to run away with this fight. Is he going to be able to stop him? Is he going to be able to put him out early? I don't think he will. I think Chavez has a pretty good I think he'll be able to withstand a lot of punishment. Uh, if there is a stoppage, it's going to be late. But officially, I will say Canelo will win this fight defensively uh, and he get in a decision. I'm talking, you know, 116, 112, 117, 111, something like that. Yeah. I mean, everything you said is it, – it, it would just be – to me, it's, it's a question of which Chavez is showing. Even if Chavez is showing up in the best shape of his life – we talked about it. We, we just did it now, and I broke it down. He doesn't have the names on there. He doesn't have the pedigree of fighters. He's basically someone who's gotten by with his toughness, his jaw, and he's a big puncher. Now, to play devil's advocate to say why Chavez could have a chance, I look at Canelo's last fight against Amir Khan. What was happening in that fight, Bragg? We saw Amir Khan use speed and movement and was able to disrupt the bigger fighter until what happened. Canelo figured him out and said, okay, I got to sit down on these punches a little bit, throw my jab, and then he knocked Amir Khan out cold in the sixth round. That could happen here, but in the reverse. We could see Canelo come out in the first two, three rounds and be the faster guy, the guy that, you know, because Chavez, let's face it, the guy's got some men in his shoes. He doesn't move the best. He's not as quick. And I think that loss to Floyd Mayweather really showed Canelo how movement and just little, little slight movement and moving your feet into position helps you in the long run. I think he's going to get the advantage. He's going to come out early. What I, my question is, does at some point in the third, fourth, fifth round, does Chavez, is he able to time him up? He's been able to do it in every fight, even in the fight against Sergio Martinez that he was down 10 rounds to one. In the 12th round, he dropped Martinez twice. He found a way. He's always found a way to, to at least figure a guy out and put a big punch on him. Now, here's the, this is the whole crux of the whole thing. Does When Chavez lands that big right hand, whether it's to the body or the head, how does Canelo handle a punch from a guy that is a light heavyweight? That's going to be the fu- that's going to be where the whole fight gets answered. And I'll tell you what, if you believe what the reports are coming out of, you know, Mexico that Chavez is in the best shape of his life, his dad's been working on him. He brought Nacho Berenstein as his trainer. And they were like, why are you bringing in Nacho? He's the guy that's criticized you your whole career. And he's like, that's why I need him for this fight, because he's the only one that's going to get me to listen. And everyone seems to say that Chavez is, you know, in the best shape. 
I think if you're looking to make a little money here, four and a half, four hundred and fifty bucks for a hundred bucks isn't a bad bet on Chavez. But again, we're paid for our opinion. Who do I think is going to win the fight? I think Canelo wins the fight by decision. I don't think he's going to knock um, Chavez out just because Chavez has too much pride and is is going to be by far the bigger man in the ring. And this is a big guy who can take a punch. So, but I think Canelo's speed and movement is going to be too much. And yeah, I, I'm looking for a, a 117, 111, nine rounds to three victory for Chavez. But I wouldn't be surprised if on Monday people, uh, you know, that Chavez won. Because again, that's a lot of weight. And we are, you know, Amir Khan is a, is as fast a boxer, as good as boxer as anybody, silver medalist. And it just, it just showed you all it takes is one good punch. And Chavez, he's got the power to do that. I think this is going to be a really good prelude to, to see where, where Canelo is in terms of triple G. Bragg, anything you want to say on my breakdown there? Uh, no, just uh, you pretty much hit it in the head. Uh, it's going to be very interesting. And that, like you said, that size uh, difference is going to be interesting to see if Canelo can overcome it because he generally is one of the bigger fighters. He doesn't fight a lot bigger. Right? He really doesn't fight a lot bigger than he is. Uh, that's going to yeah. be tough to look into, but I just really think like we talked about, I think the pedigree is huge. I think the fact that Canelo has gotten so much better since that loss to Mayweather, the level of competition, I don't, yeah, Chavez is doing all the right things, coming in a great shape, bringing Nacho into his camp, but you aren't going to find anybody to train with, to spar with, that's going to match what Canelo is going to be able to do. It's not going to be easy for him by any means, but I don't think there's be much threat outside of maybe the first couple of rounds when everybody's fresh, when Chavez is fresh, and we'll see how it goes from there. I just think like with you, I don't think he stops him. I don't think he's able to get him out of there, but in the end of the night, I think the last three or four rounds are all Canelo, and I think he pulls away. Yeah, and I mean, uh, and the other thing is, too, Canelo's bringing in light heavyweights to spar with. Like, he brought in some Ukrainian guy who trains with Triple G. He's bringing in the – he's doing the right work because, again, he knows he can't just go toe-to-toe with Chavez in the early rounds when he's strong. He's going to have to – I think this fight's going to be very much bull matador. It's going to be Canelo in the position of matador – moving, using his movement, inches and angles, speed, and then wearing Chavez down with those reaching punches, making a miss, tagging him to the body. And then I think in the second half of the fight is when Canelo will start sitting down on his punches and we'll find out what's what. But, yeah, I mean, I will say this. I hold, I reserve the right after the weigh-in. <laughs> to possibly change my pick because I want to see how big they are for real next to each other at the weigh-in because that's going to tell us a lot. I mean, if, if Chavez looks drained or like jaundice, like where his face is sucked in and stuff, it could be a really easy night for Canelo. But if he looks 
healthy and strong and you know he's only going to put on more weight in the next 36 hours, it could be a different fight. Um, Brad, yeah, did we, is, what our official uh, cutoff time? Did we, did we decide on, what, two hours before fight time or an hour before fight time before we, our picks are officially in? <laughs> uh, I mean, I like to – I would say – We'll, we'll 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 go with uh, before the pay per view. So we'll say eight o'clock, eight p.m. Pay per view starts at nine. So we'll say eight p.m. cutoff for for your pick for the main event. So as this as the show is being taped on or recorded, rather, I don't think anybody uses tape anymore. Wednesday night, March third, at approximately seven twenty p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We're both picking Canelo by decision. May 3rd, not March 3rd. May 3rd. You're right, because tomorrow is May 4th. It's Star Wars Day. May the Force, May the be, with force be with and, you. And 50 Cent Corn Dogs at Sonic. Oh, see, we don't have Sonic around here. It sucks. We get all the, we get all the commercials oh. for Sonic. We get all the commercials for Sonic, and the closest one is in is like an hour away in Medina. Oh man, I you know I'm not a huge Sonic fan. I love their slushies. Uh, I like. Oh yeah, I used to I used to live in, in Mon- Montana and South Carolina. They both had them, and they were fabulous. Absolutely, and uh, yeah, they're doing 50 cent corn dogs tomorrow. So, generally, what we'll do is we'll buy like two dozen corn dogs for the kids. You know, spend a total mm-hmm. of about 12 bucks on dinner for everybody. It's it's great. Yeah, it's fantastic. I was just gonna say I love me some corn dogs. Yes. <laughs> All right. Now, Bragg, this is interesting, too, just because we, we thought we were going to get through a whole show without mentioning it again. But no. the, here we go. Yeah, <laughs> here we go. So now it seems like a lot of th- there's been a lot of hyperbole as far as what's really going on. I've heard now from the Mayweather camp that they do not have a deal in place. And this is coming from the Showtime people that basically Dana White has been kind of blowing smoke up people's asses that they don't really have a deal in place. And that the longer it's taking that, you know, in September Floyd's going to be out of the ring for two years. And regardless, they they said that he's in great shape waiting for a fight, but they said he's not going to wait too much longer because he doesn't want to, you know, keep training and whatnot if something's not going to happen or else he's going to pick someone else to fight. So the odds now have come down. If you remember a few, maybe about a month ago on the show, I said that I found the odds and they had Mayweather at 12 to one if the fight was going to happen. Now the odds are down to seven to one. So, so the odds, so you're telling me the odds are almost identical. Mayweather beat McGregor the same way Canelo beats Chavez. You said that pretty much. I would say Mayweather's a little bit more of a favorite. He's he's at seven minus seven fifty. <laughs> okay. Hey, dude, that's that's great for me. Yeah, I was just gonna say that's great for me. I'm hoping it can go to. I hope the public thinks he has a chance and it goes down to like three to one, and I'll put my everything I own on Mayweather. Um, absolutely. But, uh, yeah, just, just – uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's, that, that's pretty much our show. You know, we got a huge pay-per-view this weekend, and then next weekend 
in Dallas, Cowboy Stadium, Stipe Miocic, Junior Dos Anjos, the rematch. Going to be a big, big night. Joanna Jancasek defending her title. A lot of other fights on that card. We will be there to preview it and to break that down and to recap everything that happens from Cinco de Mayo weekend. Again, two Mexican legends fighting for the next generation. It's fantastic. Bragg, anything you want to say to the listeners before we get out of here? No, man, just uh, looking forward to the exciting weekend. And, of course, next weekend's big USC pay-per-view is going to be uh, big. (laughs) As we say at the heavyweight title, is always fun to watch, get excited about. Uh, no, man, just just great catching up with you, great talking MMA and boxing. And as we said a couple weeks ago, the, the sport of the fine sport is only going to get hotter and hotter as the summer does as well. And we're just getting started. It's going to be a huge, huge, huge year come for mixed martial arts and boxing. And the Ultimate Fight Show, it's time to jump on the bandwagon. Let's go. Yeah, and uh, on another note, I just wanted to uh... – congratulate my AAU basketball team. We finally were able to take down the Cleveland cage classic and win a championship in AAU. It's been a, it's been a culmination of about a year and a half for that. So I was real, real proud of them um, on Saturday and Sunday. Yeah. So, uh, Oh, I meant yeah. to ask you how, how, how pug do it in that uh, contest jar doing? What is it like? Pug, pug and pug and dad look contest. What it? What is it? <laughs> I you broke up. I said. I said. Is it like a father son look alike contest? What kind? Of, what is it? Y'all are doing? Who? Me and the the dog. You and the pug. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, we're just, we're trying to we're trying to challenge Doug 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 the pug for uh, pug supremacy. So. <laughs> we'll see what happens, but um, yeah, he's now, not I brought that up so far. <laughs> I brought that up. Actually. He's gone dark on us, Greg. Oh Lord, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll and I'll, I'll put mine up on uh, Twitter and uh, Instagram as well. Actually, my my wife and daughter just entered some mother daughter look alike contest this morning. So uh, I'm gonna encourage everybody to go out, follow the link I post on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Go vote for. Uh, Mrs. Bragg and young Lily Bragg as they are, I don't know what they're competing for, but it'll, it'll be good for me if they win. Yes. Yeah, it always is. And uh, (laughs) another thing too, I was real, real excited about the, uh, they, they finally released the first trailer for the, uh, the dark tower for the gunslinger. Uh, I don't know if you follow the uh, Stephen King series, the dark tower, but it's one of the best books he's ever written, and they're finally making it into a movie. Matthew McConaughey is gonna is in it, and um, the guy that played Stringer Bell from The Wire. It's uh, it's gonna be it's gonna if you haven't checked it out, I'll send you the link to it. Uh, it looks really good. So, yeah, I saw it. I saw it posted earlier. I, I didn't get a chance to watch it because I was at work, but uh, no, it, it does. It, it does look really good. Um, you know, McConaughey is at the top of this game right now. And, and any Stephen King novelization that uh, gets done the right way is always going to be good. I'm actually looking forward to the new uh, uh, that's coming out. Of course, you've got the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 uh, going to be released. Mm-hmm. I know, no, that's this week. That's this Friday. 
this Friday. Yeah, this Friday. Out. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm excited. Actually, my wife and are all excited. We're going going to try to go see that this weekend sometime. Um, but yeah, summer so movie season. Good, good thing you guys are doing the twelve dollars porn because it's probably going to cost you hundred to go to the movies. <laughs> you know, we we always try to go for the matinee if possible. It's uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's definitely yeah. We um, there's actually a local a local uh theater in my hometown that it's it's a theater that's been open. It's been there for 150 years. Springfield, Georgia. Uh, nice. It's called the, it's called the Mark Theater, and they renovated it a few years back. Uh, it's got a stage. They all the stage. They installed a projector. They show movies there, and it's very reasonable. It's a locally owned business, um, so we really try to go and support that theater um, as much as we can because they do do a great job. Uh, popcorn's good, and you know, I, I, and I'll say this: get off a little different tangent. Support local businesses, go to, if at all possible, go to your local farmer's markets. Uh, you need to go to your local shops. Go to your local establishments. Support those. Win absolutely. and every time you probably can. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so that's our show. We'll see you next Wednesday for another edition of the Ultimate Fight Show. I'm your host, LC. On behalf of Chris Bragg, saying thanks for stopping by. Good night. Are you ready? Yeah.